can't be so idealistic that we only talk about destroying capitalism. We also have to have a survival mechanism built into that that makes real money for people because people need money to sustain themselves. Yeah. And part of the problem that I have lots of times is even though I'm down with, you know, the elimination, the elimination of a capitalistic system that's destroying us, but right. nobody's talking about how do we eat in between time and not just eat shit, yes. but eat, right. you know, eat the good food that rich people get from Whole Foods, you know, the equivalent of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. how do we get access yeah. to those things? How do we get access yeah. to high quality education, books, computers, learn how to write code or whatever the thing is that can help us sustain ourselves and at the same time, you know, keeping it seared into our consciousness that they will choke us to death in broad daylight and not feel anything about it. Welcome to All Thought is Black Thought. My name is G. And I'm O. Well, <laughs> the uh, nightmare has entered a different stage. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Would that be the uh, the four year nightmare? Or would that be the uh, the five hundred year one? Well, the uh, four year was a uh, brief but intense, and the five hundred year one is uh, that's that's still moving down the track. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's the that's the question, huh? What do we? Uh, what is this next stage of the nightmare? What are we going to confront? Yeah, and what are we going to do to uh, stop it from being a nightmare? To make it better for us, for our, for our children, our grandchildren, our future generations? Because we're not yeah. going to just stay in a status of a nightmare forever. No, nope. we can't. We can't allow that. Or at least we should be putting the effort in to make sure that it doesn't stay there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, people start to wake up, and get woke. <laughs> they got woke uh, this year. That's for damn sure. <laughs> sure did. Yeah, yes. Man, got, got so woke. There's so many things that happened in a very, very brief but intense period of time. Everything from Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know. And I, there's so many other names that happened in just a few months that have passed that it's hard to keep track, you know. Right. What was it just two weeks ago, a brother in uh, Philadelphia, I think it was. Yeah, yeah Walter Wallace. Yeah. yeah. And it's not that I don't respect their lives, but it's just so frequent that I, you know, I can't hold on to that and still function. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, you can't they, live your life in the status of a nightmare, twenty four seven. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and I think as uh, as black thinkers, black uh, radical intellectuals, is to kind of help make sense of this and and figure out what what it is that we're actually facing, and so what the next steps can be. You know, but 
I think, you know, sometimes that brings it, sometimes that's about, uh, you know, introducing people to the broader concepts. Sometimes it's about really bringing it down to brass tacks and action and activism. And we kind of need both going on at the same time. Right. I thought you were going to slip and call me an academic for a second. I was about to get tight child about it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, it's hard to to go through that. And, um, you know, I mean, it's it's hard period just going through that academic, you know, process. But, um, and coming out with that level of understanding of the world. And, um, you know, people, um, people a lot of times think that it, it, it ruins you. It, it makes, it makes it so you're no good for other kind of stuff. You know, right. uh, I, I think we need more people who have the capacity to, you know, what we call critical thinking, think about their own thinking, think about why do I think this, where does it come from? What are the conditions that made it possible? And what is it doing to me? And what is it doing to our people? You know, right? Because, like, uh, uh, you know, for example, I mean, this whole thing about electoral politics. You know, people are really, uh, you know, excited because you know it's like the Wicked Witch of the West has been uh, has been you know killed. You know, or whatever. You know, not really, not really. Yeah, I was about um, to say they they think she's dead, but she's just hiding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She she did a disappearing act for a little while, but don't think she's dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, yeah. but you know, think that it's um there's a there's a level of relief. And I feel it too. I feel it too. You know, I'm not gonna lie, you know, this this motherfucker was handling coronavirus like a weapon, like a he was he was a madman. He's a madman. Yeah, in addition to what he was doing around race, even yeah. though I want to talk about him a lot, but yeah, he, yeah, it was it was a relief for me as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like we got out of a really abusive like boss situation. You know, we we, you know, we didn't necessarily land on our on our on our feet, but we at least got out of that motherfucker. You know, or 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 we were in the corner house when a shootout was going on, and one side stopped shooting, so. We weren't really the target. <laughs> we were just caught in the crossfire, but the crossfire yeah. stopped for a minute. So now we get to sort of get up off the ground for a few minutes. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so it's it's a uh, it's kind of funny coming to terms with what is what has just happened, um, it, you know, and seeing so many people celebrating what's happened as though. Joe Biden is really uh, <laughs> Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are really about shit. But they're the answer. The people that made the facilitation of uh, the expansion of the prison industrial complex and mm-hmm. a woman that tried to send a black woman to prison for her kids cutting class. You know, yeah, that's that's the answer. <laughs> right, and more Goldman Sachs. Always more Goldman Sachs. Yeah, which means we will stay impoverished, you know, yeah. which motivated yeah. a lot of people to vote for Trump because of mm-hmm. the lies that he was telling about what he was going to do for them. And reality yeah. was that Goldman Sachs always ran everything. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, he had more Goldman Sachs on his administration than I think any previous administration. You know, um, and uh, and, and that's yeah. impressive because Obama had hella people. <laughs> you have the uh, what's the uh, chief economic advisor? Uh, uh, or Cudlow, Cudlow. Yeah, but uh, I'm thinking in the Obama administration as well. Uh, oh, uh, Lawrence Summers. Yes, and not just no. It wasn't just Lawrence Summers. I thought there was someone else that was in it. Yeah, there was help, uh, Tim Tim Geithner, I believe. Yeah. yeah, all those people were deeply connected to, you know, had roots <laughs> in one way or another connected to Goldman Sachs. So yes, yeah. yes. So yeah, you know, when you say that uh, it's important that we, you know, it's important. Academic knowledge is important, and the reason it's important because it gives you the trail to track down you know what the roots of the problem are the only problem with academic is that it just stays academic and so it's an exercise in the acquisition of knowledge without action connected to the knowledge which is the problem that i have right yeah. right and that's a that's something that you know in if people were planning for a future society that didn't have the same problems and ailments as this society has, that might be something they would want to consider is that, you know, when the, uh, the core of Western philosophy is the idea that the mind and the body are separate things and that the sacred is separate from the profane, you know, and even in theology and things like that, that the, the worldly is separate from the, you know, from, from the, the, uh, the more ethereal, you know, things like that, you know, heavenly or whatever, you know, right. like when people have those ideas or practical, you know, practical stuff is separate from abstract stuff, then you got, you get separate classes of people. Some people are doing the, the hands-on brass tacks work and others are doing the thinking and the right. people who are doing the thinking set up institutions to help them think about their thinking, about their thinking, about their thinking. And it gets too abstract and removed from the realities of the other people and the other people get too into just using their tools or just surviving on a day-to-day -day basis from the poverty and things like that, that it creates two wholly separate streams in the society. And, um, you know, some people would say they're seeing that with the, you know, in terms of the vote for Donald Trump, that a lot of people who are, you know, who work with their hands or who are working class people go overwhelmingly for Trump, you know, that's white people. You know, you know, especially, but you know, um, and whereas the people who are more like academic and stuff would would have been more of the Democratic Party voters, and the rest of us are just kind of somewhere in the middle. You know, um, I think the society needs to know have people who who know like um, know you know who specialize in in things. It, it, it helps you know to have those sort of things, but knowledge needs to be more generally distributed. So many of the people voting don't have any knowledge basis to really vote on, you know. Um, and so if we were planning a society, planning a, a future, whether it be for all people or whether it be just for black people, we would need to be able to address those concerns so that a society, because what we have now is a society that's, uh, that's eating itself, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, kind of destroying itself. Uh, because of this, because of some of these divisions that are baked in, uh, you know, at least at the philosophical level from the very beginning. 
And I, I would argue that it's not even really eating itself as much as the rich are eating everybody else. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's so stratified yeah. that uh, they, they facilitate us engaging in things that are self-destructive. And when mm-hmm. I say us, I'm talking on a broad class across all racial lines that the working yeah. class uh, does things against its own self-interest over and over again. But then when you bring it down to a more specific working class black people who very often are barely working. So they're, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're more mm-hmm. in the, uh, what would be called the lumpen proletariat class, which is a, referring to a, really a criminal working class that we mm-hmm. really engage in a lot of self-destructive behavior because of miseducation, misinformation, and a misunderstanding of how things work. And we, right. and that's not, that's not a black, black tradition. It's not an African mm-hmm. tradition. You know, you hear quite often where black people say each one teach one. I mean, you mm-hmm. get uh, something like uh, sort of the uh, black cinema and you see things like Roots or films about liberation and black liberation. It always includes everybody a collective working together to make sure everyone understands what's going on, how the process works. But, you know, that Western tradition tradition hasn't ever served as well and has been a particular disservice in the last few years. But I think, uh, yeah. you know, with the uh, murder of George Floyd and all the rest of the things and the coronavirus and the ways that it's disproportionately affecting black people there's a I think there's a new emphasis on black people thinking more about making sure everybody understands what's at stake and finding ways to get out of this deadly spiral that we find ourselves in. yeah yeah I mean because it, it makes you it brings up a question of what the proper role of the state is and I think it brings into pretty clear focus um, when people have different ideas about that. Because, okay, you know, here we've been going along. Uh, a lot of us, you know, at least since the since the New Deal, since the, right after the Great Depression or during the Great Depression, when you know Franklin Roosevelt absorbing the radical energies of the left, of anarchists, of communists, of black people who had been protesting for these things for decades at that point. In, by, in, we're talking about the 1930s now, you know. Centuries, um, for black and, and really, And really centuries, yeah, yeah. You know, the people have been pushing for things, you know, like public education, um, you know, uh, you know, basic, some, some, some kind of basic safety net so that there's, there's only so low you're going to fall because Black people needed that stuff when we were coming out of the Civil War. We were refugees, right. and people weren't trying to help us at all. So we needed a a um, an object, a sort of you know, not necessarily objective, but at least you know somebody independent of the private people who were trying to you know who had all who had their own designs on us and things like that. You know, there there was a need for the state, and I think black people were among the people who were advancing that there was a need for the state because. We were a minority. We were very much disempowered, 
And the only way that we, the, the things that we needed to have done were things that had to happen on so grand a scale that no private uh, institution, you know, privately owned corporation or anything like that is going to take the loss to do that. You got to have a government to, to, to do that, you know? And so those forces were absorbed by a Franklin Delano Roosevelt in proposing things like the old age pension portion of social security or the unemployment insurance, you know, um, that uh, you can't just have people uh, standing around starving because they don't have no work. You know, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to start robbing people, you know? Sure. So you got to find way, and, and in the meantime, you got to find ways, look for ways of putting people to work and you got to find ways of protecting people's, you know, people's welfare, people's basic health and things like that. You know, all those things that were part of that new deal coalition uh, and people, you know, you know, we, the historians will debate when it finally came apart. You know, it definitely started coming apart in the mid sixties, um, you know, seventies and things like that. By the time Reagan comes about, a lot of people are calling that new deal set of ideas dead, but, but the but, idea that but before, should be looking out for you. Yeah, yeah. But before we get all the way up to Reagan, the new deal, you know, there's quite often that we were excluded from large portions of the new deal too so right and so this we were and, and the problem with the state is the ways that it's always excluded our interest mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. so 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 we have this idea that the state should look out for people that it should take a more active role in making sure that that people aren't falling too far behind but at the same time as, it, as that idea is being propounded, and that idea was being pushed in many ways by Black people, but Black people were some of the very ones who were being left out of how that idea was, uh, was executed, because all of that is channeled through the idea of America, you know? And it's like America doesn't know itself if it's not stomping on us. You can, oh, can, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it's like it's like America doesn't doesn't know itself if it's not uh, if it's not keeping us down, you know. Oh, and so everything is channeled through white supremacy. And if it's channeled yes. through white supremacy, how could black people have a right? Right. You know. So now we get to something like coronavirus, and all that white supremacy that's been there from the beginning in the United States—that white supremacy, that anti-blackness, anti-indigenousness. You know, um, and there, uh, you know, there comes an idea. Okay, we need help from the federal government. We need them to do this thing that they're that they're capable of doing. They did it in the time of the Great Depression with the New Deal. You know, they did it in this time, did it in that time. They didn't really do it, and they didn't do it for Black people. But there's at least the idea out there that the state can do this, and that if you have a state that does that, then it can include Black people. Well. Now you have you have a dude in you know you got a dude in the office and he's still in the office for at least another seventy something days you know that doesn't have that idea when he was when he was confronted with the the idea that the state should be helping the government the federal government should be helping to organize the response to coronavirus what did he do he said no nah, the states it's up you it's every state for themselves go ahead and you're even going to have to compete the states are even going to have to compete with the federal government in terms of bidding for different items and things like that. And taking no concern about it, which is which is the same as what the what the federal government did basically with the response to Katrina, you know, it's kind of like a 
a disaster capitalism or a, or a shock shock doctrine type thing on a on a domestic scale. Right. You know, so we need to think really big ideas about whether we are even actually part of this government or part part of this state. You know, yeah, regardless we, of the fact. We should think of ourselves as not part of the state and understand what our ancestors understood and cleave out ways to survive and quite often thrive uh, in order to, you know, advance our agenda, our survival, and our ability to thrive in spite of the things that we face here. You know, and we know, we know historically what they've done when we begin to thrive. But that doesn't mean that we quit trying. So, right. I mean, right. Like Rosewood and, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Tulsa. Yes. Black, yes. Black Tulsa. Wall Street. Yeah. Black Wall Street. And who knows how many yeah. other places that happened in. But that's still. Wilmington, North Carolina. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. And all of the massacres that occurred when black people take it into their own hands to make that happen. Uh, we need mm -hmm. to uh, we need to think big and bold about how we make that happen again. You know, like how do we carve out our a place for in a way for us to economically survive outside of engaging in an underground economy that just gives them the fuel to have us locked up. So yeah, we need to um, remember what we've done in the past in terms of places like Rosewood and Tulsa and the various ways that black people created communities to survive basically uh, genocide and quite often thrive and also to figure out strategies that uh, incorporate the assumption that we need to defend ourselves from the very beginning. Yeah. Really. Yeah, yeah. Because the, so, the state has never worked for us. So. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, from the beginning, the state was like, okay, in America, you know, and you know, we're talking about black people. We're really talking about in um in America, you know, uh, as kind of the the formative thing as far as what what shaped us as as a modern people, even though we do have a lot of culture that we brought over from Africa. You know, the traumas, I think, of the Middle Passage and of enslavement happening for, uh, for over 300 years, you know, um, that, uh, that we, you know, the state was the thing that oversaw that, you know, that um, the people who enslaved us, they got their charters from the state to sail over there and capture us and take us across the, the Atlantic. The people who set up the colonies, those were private uh, corporations who had charters from the state, and then they formed the basis of the new state that, had, that grew up in America. All of them were, you know, slaveholders or people who were, uh, who, who, you know, who didn't mind slavery existing in their midst and things like that. When we get to the, the, the end of chattel slavery, the Civil War, you know, we, we, uh, we had to rely on the Reconstruction government, which had been shaped by war, you know, by, by uh, you know, the fact that uh, 
uh, a whole portion of the country had just been trying to keep us in slavery and they were the ones who, who lost. So we relied on the ones who beat them at first, the Union and the, uh, um, and the Union Army and things like that, uh, to create, uh, you know, things like, you know, some, some basic schools with basic levels of learning and things like that, um, you know, but then they withdrew uh, after really not that long, after only about 12 years, you know, considering we had been enslaved for, you know, over 300 years, and then they tried to fix everything in 12, didn't work, you know, and I think we relied, we relied on private organizations like the Julius Rosenwald, I think uh, he was a big benefactor, built a whole lot of schools in the South. He was, um, he was one of the big, uh, big CEOs or big corporate executives at uh, Sears Roebuck back when they were like the big, you know, corporation back in the day, big, you know, commercial shipping and, you know, uh, stores and stuff like that for people. Um, they were, he, they were, they were big when I was a kid and just think they're gone now. Even They're gone. Yeah. Yeah. These are whole different, a whole new age. I think Booker T. Washington was able to talk with Julius Rosenwald, get him to build up a whole bunch of Rosenwald schools all over the South that a lot of black people went to. And then they went on to the black colleges and things like that. So we've had this relationship with kind of public and private for, for a while, you know, but now it's it's really getting to the point where like we we have to really evaluate um that that we're we're not actually part of this country and i think the thing we have that keeps reminding us of that is on a regular basis there are videos that are easily accessible easily transmittable that are released of us being killed people who look just like us people wearing clothes just like us talk just like us going to the same places that we go to we might even know some of them you know and there's no way that you can see that and then also see things like Katrina and see things like how the, the you know, the failed response to coronavirus and how it disproportionately affects us. And there's no way you can see that and think, well, we're, we're, we're part of this, we're part of the society. No, no. It's a constant reminder that we are not part of this and that we need to, and, and, and if that's the case, it's only going to become more and more apparent as you know, we might have beat Trump this time, but the next one who's coming back isn't going to be as incompetent as Trump. You know, especially if there's uh, a conservative party that believes in uh, ideas like someone like Ann Ryan, who doesn't even believe that uh, her philosophy was that everyone should be independent. There is no need for a state. Uh, that the apparatus of the state is uh, immoral, and that people should fend for themselves. So any laws against discrimination, any laws against, uh, you know, corporations stealing from the rest of society, those laws in her mind, which was supported by, uh, what was Ryan, uh, the former Speaker of the House? Uh, yeah, Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan was, a, you know, a, sort of a, uh, accolade of uh, Ann Ryan, and her last name is spelled R Y. I think it's R Y N D. Is that how she spells it? Or, anyway, uh, I think A A Y N is her first name. Ayn Rand, and then the last name is R A N D. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, Atlas Shrugged is the, one of the big books of hers. But yeah, if there's a you know that that sort of a libertarian no government idea is being pushed by these people that support corporate interests because they don't, you know, they just want to keep all the money for themselves, even though they 
control the means to make a living for almost anything. And yeah. yet it doesn't, you know, there's ways that we can still, there's the way that you see all these people going and living off grid, there's ways that we can create uh, uh, economic sustainability for ourselves that's outside of the way they'd have us think the system needs to work. You know, there's enough. I, I don't. I don't think that we're. You know, that we're a financial or economic superpower in the black community. But we have ways that we can do a lot better than a lot of us are doing if we have a collective attitude toward our survival and our living. You know. So. Yeah. 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 Which, which, then, you know, chasing the corporate dream is never going to get us there. No. No. Not chasing the corporate dream, not, not, you know, and that's a question I have for you, G. I think, you know, like what, what I, what I ran into with, uh, in terms of reading like Ice Cube's contract with Black America, for example, or, um, you know, a n number of the ideas that, uh, that uh, other, other people have had for how we build up, um, or, or kind of how, what the next step should be for Black America you know, right. or, or for black people in general, you know, there's a lot of crossroads that we have to come to and we have to decide which way to go. Documents like Ice Cube's contract with Black America take us in a particular direction. And he would claim that as leadership. He would claim that the leadership is to go this way down the road. You go toward greater financial independence, um, you know, um, federal grants, um, you know, so still very much an involvement of the state in black people's financial well-being, but a commitment that they have to to do certain things, to treat us certain ways. It's, it's also got police and judicial reforms and things like that, prison reforms and things like that. But, it, you know, but there's a certain role that the state has, which would be to promote financial well-being, but it doesn't have anything in the contract with Black America about uh, health care. I think it has something about maybe making sure there's hospitals, there's good hospitals, you know, accessible to to uh, to black neighborhoods. But other than that, I don't think it's got anything in there about that. Whereas there's other people who would take it in the direction of saying we need to have uh, a revolution against the capitalist class. So the very people that Ice Cube's plan would rely on uh, to uh, to to you know help us gain financially, you know, financial independence. Those are the very ones who a lot of people say are the ones who cause the problems that we face with to, that, that we that we're faced with to, in, you know from jump. You know, there's that question of capitalism. You know, you know. Then there's also the question of should black people really even fuck with anybody else? You know, or should we really just be you know trying to do our own thing? You know, completely independent. Um, you know. Hey, maybe some of it's got capitalism. Maybe some of it's, you know, uh, got other things and things like that. But it's hard to know which way to take, you know. And there, there's so many different directions to go at this road. And that's just if you take the roads, you could you could go off the beaten path too and form new new things that we may not even have thought about. But that's the thing that I keep thinking about is like the leadership in this moment has to have some agreements about how we get to that that crossroads. But once we get to that crossroads we might all be going in different directions too. And I think we need to have some conversations about which, which directions are the most beneficial for all of us. Personally, me, 
I don't think it's every every person for for himself, you know. Right, right. No, I you agree. Know. I don't. I don't think the individualistic way is the way we, that we need to move. And I, uh, and I don't think it's just a national. It's just not the United States. I was watching a uh, documentary on what happened in Ghana with the tomato production, and the mm-hmm. way that they've devastated the. Uh, you know, the people in Ghana who, you know, so many people made a living off of tomato production, exported tomatoes, it helped support that economy. And now that's mm-hmm. all shut down and people are having to leave the country and, you know, go to other countries just to make a living, you know, and live in squalid conditions because of the, uh, you know, international treaties that, uh, you know, force them to take imports but they're not able to export their product so you know i don't think we're at a point right now where there's a way outside of dealing with capitalism it would be great if there was but we do have to live in the economic reality that we're in but we need to uh have leadership and organizing that presses the at least the current economic system to be just and it's not just that uh, anywhere in the world where black people are, they're at the mercy of an international system that only sees us, you know, black skinned people as a group of people to be exploited, you know, including the U.S., the way that other people from other countries come and open up liquor stores in our community, but we right. can't get the funds to have a good grocery store in our community. You know, uh, those kind of problems have been ongoing. I haven't seen any indication that there's anything changing on that front significantly. You know, there's people trying to make efforts to have, you know, healthy foods and sort of in the food deserts. There's people that are engaged in food production. And that's all we need more of that. You know, we need those sort of things to be supported. And we need to also extend that to an international level that it, includes black people, uh, you know, in a sort of international way, you know, mm-hmm. the, where black people are. We need things that we, we need black people to be able to uh, participate, acquire wealth by dealing with one another. And we don't have that ability either right now. So we need, yeah. uh, so that, you know, and I think the economic part is very important. Uh, mm-hmm. Because uh, so much of uh, what generates our difficulties is the fact that we don't have any sort of a any sort of a system that uh, provides for us economically. You know, we've been excluded from training, education, uh, entry into the various marketplaces, and if it is going to be capitalism that we have to deal with then we need access to the same sort of capital markets and resources that everyone else has so that our children get educated, so that our children, you know, they have the financial means to sustain themselves and do better, not just a few select individuals out of our communities while the whole rest of the community is starving. And so for every Black person that does well, they've got uh, eight relatives that are counting on them to do well, you know, and help them yeah. sort of survive. So that's important. 
And but at the same time, there's so many other avenues, like you say, like healthcare, for instance. Uh, no matter you know, in, unless you're in the uh, billionaire class, you're not going to have access to good healthcare. You know, right. or mi- millionaire class at the minimum. You know, and <laughs> so so those sort of basic sort of needs, there is a need for the state to do that. And at the same time that we understand ourselves as being excluded from the state, doesn't mean that we don't push the state to do those things. You know, yeah. so it's gotta it's gotta be a pragmatic approach. Basically, we have to we have to be on you know, and at the same time have a vision toward the future that says, you know, that acknowledges and is aware of the anti-black white supremacist nature of the world and and you know, the sort of elite civilizations of uh, the economic powerhouses of the world that Mm -hmm. aren't doing anything to make the African and the Caribbean and the, you know, the, the um, Southern hemisphere do better. Yeah. Yeah. So so we need an international approach, you know, and a lot of time, you know, at previous points I was, you know, a Marxist, uh, anti-capitalist approach, which, um, you know, obviously capitalism is a bad thing, but it's the system that we're working under. And we can't, we're not at a point that I think we can have enough of an impact to stop capitalism from doing what it does. So we have to figure out a way to survive while we fight to stop it from doing what it does. Mm-hmm. I think, like we talk quite often, I think we black people need capacity building. And that means capacity building at every level, educational capacity, you know, which, you know, includes having academic knowledge, but not just keeping it stuck in the academy. It includes having uh, skills, knowledge that doesn't just keep it caught in a trade union or within a sector of the economy that doesn't expose it. Like if you learn how to program Python, then there should be uh, a workshop for other black people to learn how to do that because that's not readily accessible. And at the same time, you don't have to be a genius to learn how to do this because people are Mm -hmm. learning it through, uh, you know, websites like Udemy and Mm -hmm. getting programming jobs. You know, they learn how to do full stack. And then once they learn how to do it, they're able to make, you know, 80, 90, $100,000 a year. Just think mm-hmm. if you had a, a massive influx of people that were previously excluded, being able to make that and then helping others do that instead of just getting it and then moving on and getting all of the accoutrements of uh, American wealth and the quote unquote American dream. You know, yeah. we we really have to do something different because we just can't keep uh, just getting, you know, hand to mouth existence. Right. It's hard right. to strategize and it's hard to struggle when you're so concerned about the basics of housing and eating. How do you fight a protracted struggle if all you're doing is just surviving? that's that's why that's why the 
the bigger that that question of uh, capitalism keeps uh, keeps coming up um, is there are there, there's a lot of money to be made uh, in repressing black people, exploiting black communities. You know, it's it's in many ways it's the basis of modern economy because there's always at the very least there's always a reserve pool of labor uh in the black community uh where you know if, if somebody has to be unemployed you can always make sure it's going to be us suffering the unemployment disproportionately you know sure. um and uh the the kind of and also the kind of destructive drive of capitalism which uh which also seems to victimize black people disproportionately when we consider things like Africa um, or the different ways that the U.S. has destabilized governments in the, the you know, uh, Central and South America, and including the Caribbean, like Haiti, you know, um, or Grenada, you know, things like that, you know, that there's always a, a place in the world where the U.S. is going to target, or if you consider Venezuela even, which is, you know, Venezuela and Cuba, which really, when you get close to them, they are fundamentally Black or black and brown countries, you know, countries right. of significant African descent um, that are kept under the, that they try to keep under the thumb of the United States empire. It's, there's, there's a lot of different layers to the struggle in terms of making it so that we even have the space to build the kind of society, the kind of economies that we need to, that we need to build, you know, uh, and it's not to get, uh, I'm not trying to get, a, get ahead of ourselves, you know, but, it, you know, I, I do think taking those things into consideration uh, is, is part of part of what we have to build. <laughs> Speaking of <Kevin> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I'm at work, this happens, and uh, I get a little embarrassed. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll try to move that mic as quick as I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, uh, that, uh, and that's part of what I'm trying to say is that at the same time that we know we're mm -hmm. toiling under capitalism, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you have to make your way the way you have to, but you also have to have a long-term goal of dismantling mm -hmm. those oppressive systems. Yes. So, you know, you can't be so idealistic to think that the only struggle is to eliminate capitalism because you're not going to have right. people on your side trying to eliminate capitalism if they can't even eat. They won't have time to even uh, really understand how the mechanism works if all, if all the focus is on, you know, making that analysis of what capitalism is. And I understand, you know, I've heard yep. people talk about like Frank Wilderson talks about when his experience in South Africa where people were reading and, you know, uh, people like Gramsci and so forth to, you know, gather that knowledge when there wasn't even internet available and they had steady groups and they did that work. But mm -hmm. at the same time, you can look at South Africa right now and even after doing all that work, South Africa still remains you know, and South Africa as a whole still remain under that same economically oppressive system. They're mm -hmm. going to have to find a way to get people out of that level of, 
poverty that automatically equals death so they can struggle at a more and the struggle can be more productive you know yeah because because if you don't if you don't create that infrastructure that gives people the ability to survive and make the analysis at the same time it's not enough mm-hmm. just to get enough rice to eat and literally not starve to death you right. need to you need to create an infrastructure i think this is what i think that allows mm-hmm. people to also see the evil that they're fighting against mm-hmm. as they have to uh, work within that system. Because yeah. we really don't have an uh, alternative to working outside that system. You know, so yeah. you could use, for me, for instance, when I was a carpenter, I can be a carpenter, uh, working as a carpenter, making $45 an hour, or whatever they make right now, and still understand that that system has to change. You know, yes. and still understand that it's unsustainable for me to wear my back and my limbs out generation after generation, even if I am making a good wage as I do it. It's not what I want for my future generations to have to do. Right. You know, right. and even if there is carpeted in the future, there's a way that it doesn't have to be as exploitive as it is, and particularly for black people. You know, oh, because yeah. really, there's only a few black people that are carpenters anyway. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, we're excluded from that market also. You know, so right, and we have all kinds of models for other societies, other ways of organizing things. You know, right. that that, um, that that if we just study those, then I mean, look at the Western Europeans and places like Norway and and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sweden and all those, you know, socialist, democratic socialist societies, people aren't killing themselves working to death, right. you know, and they, and they get supported by a government system that allows them to have a very, very comfortable lifestyle with health care, wonderful housing, they eat well, they have, you know, I heard that in some countries they have like three, four month vacation periods. You yeah. know, imagine that. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine a black mm-hmm. person getting a three-month vacation where you have three months off and you have enough money just to go on an excursion with your family across the country and travel and eat and enjoy just visiting different places in the place that you live. That that mm-hmm. that does that's not impossible for us. There's a way that the economic system can, there's surplus enough for the economic system to provide all those things. Everybody could have a comfortable place to live, have transportation, have good mm-hmm. health care, eat good food, and still not have to kill themselves to get it, and still mm-hmm. not be the richest people in the society to have it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the modern mm-hmm. economy produces enough to do that. Nobody's yeah. saying nobody's saying you have to destroy the current economy. I don't think people want to go back to a time where they didn't have access to streaming TV and mobile phones that you know you can search anything that you want right now. It's really a question mm-hmm. of distribution. You know, yes. can the can the trillionaires, you know, redistribute the wealth to the point where they just where they're uh, multi-billionaires instead of trillionaires and everybody else can, you know, make 120 a year. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, 
it's possible. That's not impossible. And black people should be looking at that and saying across the world, wherever we're at, you know, wherever black people are at, there's plenty of resources that they're not even benefiting from that could have them just as wealthy as any other part of the world. But the system yeah. has to change and pressure needs to be put on the system where it's not an exploitive system and it's a sharing system. And resources right. are shared, you know, so. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Marxist theory gets at that, but there, you know, there's multiple ways that that can happen without the destruction, the entire destruction of uh, the economic system as it currently functions. You know, there's a way that the redistribution can happen without eliminating, you know, uh, electric cars and everything else that's coming with future technologies. Right. Because all of that stuff requires an infrastructure. I, I think, you know, there's a there's a there's a problem that we face with uh, in terms of how we would get, uh, you know, the billionaires or you know the soon-to-be trillionaire Jeff Bezos or people like that, you know, to get uh, to get up off of that money, you know, in, in terms of uh, redistributing it not in a not in a voluntary sense. Right. Uh, you know, in, in the sense of, of that they would um, give to charity because they're never going to give enough to charity. And we know. don't, right? we don't want charity. We want our. And we don't want charity, right? Yeah. We want our. Right. Share. You know, we're entitled because, to it, and we have to yeah. think about it as our entitlement. You know. Yes, and that's the that's that's the that's that's where the analysis comes in is that people need to understand that what they would see as stealing from rich people uh, is actually, and, and what the rich would call stealing from them. Oh, you stole, you robbed from me. You, you, you're soaking the rich, you know, all these kind of things. It's really redistributing what they relied on to become rich that we, the rest of us have built. And, and, what, they stole, and what they stole from us. And what they right. stole from societies all around the world. I mean, yes. the, the whole notion of America, if you understand and if you look at the academic work that's been done, it shows that America is a nation built on theft. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that word, you know, that whole sort of uh, moralistic notion around the idea of theft has been turned on its head, but we need to uh, reclaim what is actually ours. And, you know, Jeff Bezos and you know, the head of Microsoft, Bill Gates, all these individuals are just individuals. And no matter what, they will cannot stop billions of people from having their will met if there's a way that the billions of people can organize. You know, mm -hmm. there's, and if black people were seeing themselves as part of an international collective, there's no way they can stop, you know, the, it doesn't have to be every single black person or every single black group in line, but if a vast majority of black people are calling for something, they have, the nation and the world has to respond to that call. Yes. You know? yes. And if they, you know, and if the response is to try to genocide us, then you know, then that requires a different response as well. I don't yes. think we're in that place. You know, I don't think the world wants to do that. But you know, if they do, then they wanted to do it anyway. Yeah. So. Right. Right. 
it feels like there's still that crossroads problem. We're at the we're still at the crossroads of which way do we go? Because we need some aspects of a capitalist system where you know to to even get started. You know that that's right. why so many people, maybe uh, so many black people. I mean, I'm I'm told that this in this election, you know, it went from 14% of black men voting for uh, Trump to 18% of black men voting for Trump, and that black women went from, I think, uh, something like 3% or something like that to, uh, to like 7 or 8%, you know, uh, in terms of uh, the numbers of the proportions of them that voted, who voted that voted for Trump, you know. Right. Uh, so black voters uh, were hearing, I'm sure, his economic message more than things because so many people, there's so much you have to ignore uh, about what he says and does and how he just seeds disdain for black people from talking about the shithole countries, talking about our cities are, you know, rat, rat, rat and roach, you know, infested and we don't have nothing to lose, you know, and everything like that. And, and um, you know, which can have whatever elements of, of truth they might have to, to it. But, you know, the way he's saying it, it's coming from the mouth of somebody who didn't give a damn about the Central Park Five and who didn't, you know, give a damn about all the people that he wasn't renting his buildings to because they were black, you know. Uh, so when we when when people are overlooking that, it's got to be the money that they're thinking about. Well, there's, the there's, was, there's also misinformation, like the money that, the you know, the advertisement that he had out about the funding that he gave to uh, historically black colleges and universities. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, you know him giving more money and funding them for a longer period of time than they had been before. You know, that sort mm -hmm. of mis that that misinformation is meant to counter the things that you're talking about as well. And that and the fact that people have such a limited amount of time to consume information, they may yes. or may not know the rest of the story. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah, tell me, tell me, because I because I had heard some people talking about, oh, he did more for historically black colleges than any other president did, you know. Yeah, so he had an ad out going around where he's at a uh, meeting with a group of black people. He's talking about how much money that he gave to uh, the historically black colleges and universities. He has several mm -hmm. black people coming on saying how great Trump was because of that, and mm -hmm. you know, and what he's done for the economy and how black unemployment was the best it's ever been under his administration. And, you know, at a simplistic level, that stuff can seep into your consciousness and the counter, you know, if you're looking at, you know, someone like Joe Biden who created the crime bill and Hillary Clinton in the past, and that stuff mm -hmm. can seep in and you can say, well, you know, I'm for law and order myself. You know, a lot of black yeah. people are for law and order. So, you know, and like you say, yeah, there is, you know, there is a certain truth to the failed economies of uh, black nations around the world. But, mm. and, and you can't dismiss the fact of, you know, the miseducation that black people get. So, yeah. You know, and, and I'm not trying to say that, you know, there aren't, you know, some of that isn't just purely thinking about their own economic self-interest, like you're saying, but I think it's complicated because there's a, a whole lot of misinformation that's been spread and is spread on both yes. sides because the Democratic Party hasn't been 
shit for black people. Look at Clinton. You know, I still mm-hmm. get pissed off when I look at the way he did Sister Soldier that, that time. You know, that still makes mm-hmm. me mad. You know, he set mm-hmm. that up so he could have that opportunity to put a black person in check because he knew that would be politically effective for him to uh, gain the support of basically white supremacists. You know, that white he's, people, yeah. you know, he's in here checking this black woman who's too radical and she needs to be put in her place. And he did it. Mm-hmm. So, right. so, you know, there's, there's nothing that makes me feel great about the democratic party as a, as an institute, uh, political institution, but no. you know, Trump, Trump, you know, ran a propaganda campaign that included all sorts of micro targeting on Facebook that I don't even know about. You know, I might not even see it because, you know, my Facebook uh, friends and uh, my the sites that I look at don't get that feed that someone that may have been looking at a more conservative black point of view would get, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, even like the way that D- Dinesh D'Souza has these things on uh, Amazon and you, you see the title of it and then you start to see the uh, the who's the producer and then all of a sudden you realize it's Dinesh D'Souza, you know it's pure propaganda. But everybody, yeah. everybody's not going to know who Dinesh D'Souza is. So he, no, right. so he shapes his uh, two-hour film in a particular way that would be appealing to Black people at some sort of a cultural level, and it's full of misinformation at the same time. So yeah. I, I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of things at work that's got, you know, that would draw, you know, 4% more Black people toward them. You know, aside yeah. from the self-hating aspect of uh, Black people, you know, the sort of internalized self-hatred that, you know, makes black children choose the white doll over the black doll, even right in 2008 or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. And it's also, you know, true that there's a lot of religious, um, like evangelical uh, tendencies that say that, that we're saying people should be voting for Donald Trump because he was um, seen as a kind of figure of deliverance, even with all his flaws, you know, didn't Solomon have flaws too? And yet he was the wisest man who lived and all this kind of stuff. And they, look how entrenched black people are into Christianity. And, you know, a lot of those televangelists, you know, black people listen to them. They watch them every morning, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there, there is, there's a, there's a complexity of reasons, but I think the things that make us um, susceptible to that, definitely has to do with those uh, lack of economic infrastructure in, in a lot of ways, like that we could, we could get information infrastructure in the black community more, uh, more widespread, right. You know, uh, if we had, you know, the resources distributed differently, you know, um, and, um, you know, it, it can be difficult to tell if, if the first, what the first problem is to attack, you know, right. um, that, you know, obviously we all got to get up and, you know, do whatever we need to do to get money coming in. And if the money's not going to come in, we got to go out and make a way to get the resources that we need. But in terms of larger aggregate patterns to really address those, the, the, you know, the, the problems that we have, you know, 
we're going to have to come to some kind of organized way of thinking about these uh, ideologies, about, about you know the, the, the different economic systems. Like what I, one of the things I didn't appreciate about Cube's uh, contract with Black America was that it starts out, uh, at least one of the sections starts out saying capitalism is good. You know, there's nothing wrong with capitalism. We just need to have more capital, you know, uh, in order to participate in it. And, uh, you know, there there need to be ways of, you know, educating people about that, of also honoring people and supporting people who, you know, who need to go, you know, who, who want to start businesses. There's nothing wrong with starting a business, going and going and start, you know, start a business, you know. But how do you also That's not capitalism, that, but. You know, starting a business is different than monopolizing a market and controlling a market entirely and you or a few of you getting all the resources that comes out of a market. People don't even, you know, part of the problem in the United States is people don't really, the education system doesn't explain these things. People aren't reading Adam Smith or Marx, you know. Mm -hmm. So if you don't read either of those, you really don't yeah. have a good understanding of what capitalism as a system is and how it works. And so mm-hmm. part of people saying that capitalism is a good thing is because they, you know, they've got this idea that owning a business and being an entrepreneur is a, being a capitalist and you're not. You know, a capitalist right. is uh, Jeff Bezos and Amazon, uh, uh, Bill Gates and Microsoft, you know, Google, Apple, those are capitalistic organizations. They're far mm-hmm. from uh, two or three restaurants or a grocery store. You know, right. that's not the same yeah. thing at all. They're not, you know, no. Safeway is a capitalistic organization or Food mm-hmm. Max or something like that where they're, you know, they're, but uh, Berkeley Bowl, I wouldn't even call that a true capitalistic organization. That's a, Mm-hmm. Go grocery store two maybe how what is there two or one? There's two. There's two. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, and even then, you know, they may have labor disputes and everything, but they're not operating at the level of a of a true capitalistic organization. They're in a marketplace, but they're not a capitalistic organization in the same sense. Yeah. And, so getting clear on even what a capitalist is is right. The problem. Yeah. So you have people. Like, there's no way that if you broke down, you know, political economy in the sense that Marx breaks it down and the role that capitalism plays in the creation of ideology and the control of ideas and all that minutia and detail that he goes into that you could call it a good thing. Because if you understood that, you understand the role of slavery within the formation of American capitalism. You'd understand mm-hmm. the economic exploitation and and the economic position of black people in relation to capitalism. But that right. is clear that level of analysis is not going on because the contract, you know, the contract with black America is contradicting itself by saying capitalism is a good thing and yet calling mm-hmm. for these other interventions into the capitalistic system. You know, those yeah. some of those things are socialist interventions. Uh, if truth be told, that they're calling mm-hmm. for in a system that they say is good. So they don't even realize right. their own contradiction in the creation of that document. 
Mm-hmm. And and I think right. that and that's what we were talking about earlier. You know, we need to have a redistribution of knowledge as well, and the ability to analyze language, which academics do a great job of, but they keep it confined to the academy. Right, right, right. Because when all of us are approaching that crossroads, I think we we all need to have a similar core set of knowledge about things. And there are things that we need to know as Black people. I think, you know, uh, we can call it Black studies, we can call it Black thought, but there, there's, there's a common set of experiences that we all have. And I think we need to understand what is at the root of those experiences. It, it, we may not all have exactly the same experiences, but at the very least, we are Black in an anti-Black world. Right. And that means certain things that, you know, even even with middle class people or, or upper class or rich people, you know, who are black, they, you know, they, you know, with the exception of like the, the few black capitalists, the few truly black capitalists, you know, um, who are out there, you know, we, we don't have, uh, you know, we, we really have suffering that capitalism is causing us even if we're coming from those those upper classes because uh you know black people who are well to do you know if capitalism was truly a fair system they would be the billionaires you know right they, and, you know, and even the black billionaires can have a stake turn on them in a minute yes the uh the i forget the guy's name that gave all the students of Morehouse uh, paid off their uh, student loans, and then yes. then he gets investigated by the uh, IRS. IRS mm-hmm. deal, and he's a billionaire. Yeah. you know he's a yeah. billionaire. So, mm-hmm. and he and mm-hmm. he and he worked out the deal, I'm sure, because he knew his wealth could be evaporated in an instant. So yes, yes, you know. So I mean, there's. There's something that I think we need to come to an agreement about, even just at that fundamental rudimentary level, is what blackness means in the world and how that cuts across all these things, capitalism and socialism, uh, cuts across, you know, democracies, you know, uh, you know, all these different ways of organizing society. Uh, there's only so many ways that uh, you can get away from anti-blackness. Right, you know, uh, and um, and really, we all need to be putting our heads together about how to end it. But that's going to entail, you know, coming to an agreement, coming to some basic set of principles that we can agree on, and say, I know that the I experienced these, this thing, and it has to do with a larger structure called anti-blackness. It has to do with a uh, and and maybe how that structure uh, is manipulated through. Uh, capitalism to target people like me in this and that way. You know, I, we need to understand how these things are connected so that we can get uh, we, can, we can get on some agreement about how to fight it. And, and I, I, I'll disagree with you about the agreement part. I don't know that mm-hmm. we'll necessarily get the agreement, but we need some sort of a knowledge base where we're speaking a language that's commonly understood. Like you can have mm-hmm. you can have uh, scholars talk about what capitalism is, and there's there's very little disagreement 
about what it means as in terms of an economic system and how it works. And, mm-hmm. and the problem that I see happening is that uh, when you have, you know, black people that don't have that level of understanding about, say, capitalism as a term and as a concept, then they're mm-hmm. able to see the, the role that capitalism plays as an international system in the creation of slavery and the role that capitalism and slavery go hand in hand in terms of producing the current situation that we have around the world for black people. Now, the, you know, and whether people agree on, you know, uh, the common reason for our oppression, if there's anti-blackness or not, they do know that there's a specific history that occurred. Those yeah. parts of history aren't well distributed. And we're not, you know, like the common average everyday black person may not have a good understanding of the ways that, for instance, the cotton production or even tobacco production needed labor, which is what capitalism needs is labor and the labor mm-hmm. that they needed to create this great amount of wealth was free labor that they stole from us. And in the process, they had to construct blackness as something other than human in order to take that labor. Now, whether mm-hmm. everybody agrees with that or not, the historical facts of the processes are there that, you know, they didn't need slaves until they were trying to do massive agricultural production. And the need right. for more slaves became more necessary to increase that level of production. Now, mm-hmm. you know, if we if we understood that as a in a systematic sense, which there's a whole, you know, there's several generations of black people that don't understand that in the United States. And I yes. dare say around the world, you know. Yeah. There's probably yes. plenty of Africans in Africa that don't know what happened to black people in America because they come to the United States thinking this was a land of uh, milk and honey and opportunity and the streets are paved with gold and they don't know why black people aren't making it. So there's, yeah. you know, there's a ignorance to all of the various processes that are occurring. I bet mm-hmm. you though, if there was a more common understanding of the processes, there'd be a broader consensus. There'll be those outliers, but there'd be a broader consensus about exactly what the problems are we face. Because if you look at an African person or a black person from the Caribbean, I have this friend of mine, he came here from Haiti, young man. He was he got his uh, degree from uh, University of uh, Virginia in economics and couldn't even get a job in a bank beyond, you know, the, at a basic teller level. You know, mm. <laughs> he's got a degree in economics and the avenue wow. up wasn't available, available to to him and he started you know at first he was talking about why were black people in america this way that way you know african americans are thugs and da 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 and eventually you know he started to have a different understanding after he saw the process that were so yes but i don't lived experience of the black person as a phenomenon would call that yes exactly exactly but i don't i don't know that there's a a very widespread, you know, like we've talked earlier, like people 
what black people are experiencing in South Central Los Angeles, uh, North Richmond, Parchester Village, East Oakland, is far is the same in a lot of ways, but far different than what they experience in Monroe, Louisiana, or a small town in North Carolina, or you know, some very small place in Georgia or Alabama. You know, they may have they may have gangs, or they may be a, uh, such a small community that you know. There's a, uh, you know, 4,000 black people in the whole town, but, you know, so they don't have a gang problem, but they still experience every form of racism that they can experience. They don't have yeah. systems. People are getting uh, typhus from, uh, you know, contaminated water systems, and uh, they don't have septic systems that work. So they're, you know, there's all sorts of diseases they're experiencing. You can see this over and over again on documentaries about America in the 2000s, right? So, yeah. but, but as a collective group of people, we don't know, you know, living in the West, on the West Coast, we don't know what people are going through in rural Alabama because that information right. isn't being shared with all of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. So part of it is then coming to understand what each other's going through. I think so. Uh, so that we can see, you know, the commonality of our very different experiences. Because it is, yeah, it, it's hard to see what people have in common on different sides of the the, the city, let alone different sides of the, yes. the state, the country, let alone different sides of the world. But Black people are going through or catching hell for the same fundamental reason right. globally even though that looks like a million different little ways, depending on where you're at and what socioeconomic status you are or what your skin color is or all these what education level you have, all these different uh, kinds of variables. Yes. And yet there's an international system at work that says that Ghana can't sell its tomatoes and they're excluded from the marketplace and we can dump all our tomatoes on them from China, India, uh, Italy and the only reason they're able to do it is because it's Ghana and Ghana is black. Yes. So, mm-hmm. you know, coming to an understanding of that, somebody in Ghana may not understand what black people in America are going through, but at some level they understand the reason what they're going through is because they're black and they're in Africa. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because they know, you know, just like they know when they're a refugee from Africa and they let them uh, drown off the coast of Italy, that's happening right. because they're black. Mm-hmm. It's not causing a, a sense of a crisis or a scandal because the bodies are black. And yet at the same time that that's happening... There's a massive number of black people in South Central LA that don't even know that occurred. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why I think it's good that there is a movement called Black Lives Matter, you know, that centers the problem of what it means to have a life that matters. Right. I think that that's that can be a start for people to start thinking about that. And I feel like because that's so much a part of what uh, you know the, the the thought framework that we that we kind of uh, meet on that we're kind of fellow travelers on Afro pessimism, 
uh, is really kind of has a way in with that conversation. Because if, if people in South Central Los Angeles, if people in North Richmond are already getting galvanized by the distribution of these, these, uh, these, these videos that are showing the police, you know, tasing and beating pregnant black women or shooting a man seven times in the back in front of his kids and all this kind of other stuff, you know, like those things galvanize us at an affective level and they do so with the hashtag Black Lives Matter. Right. And if we can start there and maybe get people talking about, okay, so you can see that this, this, the, the way this person was killed, the way this person was assaulted or injured, that's a sign, that's the state, that's this white person like George Zimmerman or whoever telling us that our lives don't matter so that we have to assert, yes, our lives do matter. And to the point where people, people know, people know, um, I, I thought at first when Black Lives Matter came about and then these white people started talking about all lives matter, a lot of white people who are talking about all lives matter now are getting the asses beat yeah. because people, people know the difference. I mean, pe people are not falling for that, you know, uh, and, they're, and they're holding people accountable who say that, even, even other black people who say that, you know, yeah. so yeah. like they know people are, are knowing that, that this is something that is connected to being black, but can we get people to see even more broadly than that, the whole reason why there is a place called South Central or North Richmond right. is because the black lives there do not matter. Can it we get them to see? Don't matter when they're working at a Tyson chicken factory and get locked in the building and burned to death under Bill Clinton. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So in North Carolina. Yeah. yeah. Yep. In my home state of North Carolina. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there. So there's a there's a way that all this stuff is interconnected. And we need more work to help the connections be clear. And then you can start elevating the conversation to a critique of what capitalism is. So Ice Cube won't start out a document in such an ill-informed way. I won't call it stupid, but I think it's ill-informed yeah. because I think there's a, you know, there's a lack of acknowledgement of what this international system is that has been anti-black since its birth. You know, yes. modern capitalism comes out of the development of the American society and the way, well, I mean, Marx would go back to probably France or something, but really the in the international sense, the United States is, became the powerhouse of capitalism because of its connection to slavery, uh, mm -hmm. agricultural production and international trade. Right. Right. Yeah. So that Marx said that uh, the primitive accumulation that, that, that kick-started capitalism at its very beginning was in part based on the hunting of black flesh. Yes. As he called it, which was basically the same as saying slavery. Yeah. And that the first, um, the first factories the first time the term factory was really used was uh, that plantations, you know, were, were, you know, were, were factories. Yes. Uh, and uh, even, even the word for plantation in Spanish, hacienda, you know, is the, is the, uh, um, is basically means a place where things are made. It's basically like, like a factory, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you know, those are signals that we have that capitalism from its very beginning has uh, 
has been about our enslavement and has needed our enslavement. And, and even if we're not called chattel slaves at this particular moment in history, A, a lot of us are in the status of slavery being in the prison industrial complex, right. which, uh, which is a form of legal slavery under the 13th Amendment of the United States. But B, that also all these other places in the world, like in, in, in these different places in, uh, you know, in, in uh, the Congo uh, or uh, in uh, Ivory Coast, uh, where people, where children a lot of times are forced to, form, to farm or, or mine uh, different uh, kinds of materials, whether it be cacao beans for making chocolate or coal tin for cell phones or uh, all these different uh, ingredients for modern capitalism. Uh, and the, the products that, that we that we rely on in, in Western societies like this, you know, those require slave labor to this very day. Coffee, you know, those require, you know, forms of labor that can be called slavery, you know, and there's no real safeguard in place for protecting against that because, again, the bodies are black. Which means that if you're black, you're either a slave or you're a slave in waiting. So, you know, in the United States, you're either locked up or you're in that precarious position of being locked up. And in order to enforce slavery in the form of mass incarceration or slave labor uh, in all across the African continent, you need police and police are part of the apparatus of our uh, continuing enslavement and our status as slaves and waiting, you know? So there's, there's a way that, uh, you know, I don't wanna, I, I think that for a lot of what you, the rhetoric that comes out of black people that wanna see something different, I think Ice Cube uh, or, uh, I don't wanna keep calling the brother Ice Cube. Cube uh, O'Shea Jackson. Uh, Sean Combs, they want something different. You know, they've been successful. Yeah. I think their impulse is in the right direction, but there's some knowledge that's lacking uh, in the rhetoric because you would speak differently if you understood these things in a different way. And so that's why I just right. keep coming back to uh, miseducation, uh, a lack of information, uh, access and knowledge and and you know it's not that it's not available now but even with the internet and all the rest of it how do you know what you're even yeah. looking for you know what i'm saying like right right like what is, what exactly are you looking for we want to understand uh the african-american experience and, and what actually happened i was watching uh interview earlier uh today uh where Karen Henner was interviewing this uh, professor from the University of Michigan who wrote this book mm -hmm. about called The Kidnapper's Club, and it talks about how uh, New York City, uh, before the Civil War, there was uh, judges, well, the, he was a city recorder, which was the equivalent of a judge, policemen, uh, lawyers, a group of people that were kidnapping uh, black children and adults and shipping them back down south in a similar way to what happened to Solomon Northrop. And it was sort of an underground industry that they were doing. There was hundreds of people that they 
kidnapped claim that they were uh, either fugitive slaves or they'd say they were going to arrest them because they were suspected of stealing jewelry or something. And then they mm-hmm. turn around and say they were actually a fugitive slave and ship them out, out to work on plantations. They, they, wow. Yeah, they come into schools and uh, take children out of classrooms and mm-hmm. say that they were there, that the one example that he gave was a, of a boy whose father and him had escaped from slavery. They came to this uh, African Saturday school and they took the boy out of the classroom and uh, they said he was a runaway slave. They organized to try to stop the boy from being taken. But he ended up being taken back to a plantation, you know, from New York City. And it was a regular occurrence. So it's just, you know, that uh, all of these wow. things happen. And we're like, it's like the fact that, you know, uh, New York City, the North was considered, you know, a abolitionist haven. And they yeah. learn in 2020 is a big lie and that they were doing all mm-hmm. that stuff just sort of goes to the point why black people think some of the things they think you know we've been right. we've just been misinformed about so much that's uh crucial mm-hmm. to our political action and movement and the ways that we need to move and part of that's going to take uh broader discussions and understandings about these systems practices histories you know mm-hmm. ideologies you know like i don't I, I don't think the vast majority of people know what, you know, that, uh, what's her name? Ann Ryan. How do you say her name again? I forgot. Yeah. Oh, uh, Ayn, Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand. Thank you. <laughs> Ayn Rand was uh, influential on Paul Ryan, who was the Speaker of the House. You know? Yes. And so his. As well as on, uh, on, on, on um, uh, the dude who used to head the Fed. Federal was Alan Greenspan. Oh yeah, Alan Green. Alan Greenspan was, I think, a student of Ayn Rand. And what about the other guy that was uh, at the University of Chicago, uh, the Chicago School? Yeah, yeah, Milton Friedman. He was like, he was, he was real friendly to Ayn Rand. Yeah. yeah. So you have these economic policies coming out of uh, an idea that there should be nothing that the federal government does; that it's a laissez-faire. Or let the mm-hmm. let the thing go as it will type of economy. Black people yes. are having that discussion, you know. Right. Ice Cube. We were excluded. Ice Cube is taking not taking that into account. Part of the reason right. Reagan was so detrimental is he had these sort of people guiding the economic mm-hmm. policy. That's the reason they did away with whatever economic support systems we had until Reagan and Clinton come in and destroy that and then put us in more abject poverty. Not only were they discriminating uh, at the point of getting jobs, you know, if you grew up in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, the the discrimination was just blatant. You know, I told you the story about someone I know where uh, uh, one of the people that she had to deal with called her a stupid bitch openly and acknowledged it, right? This was just a few weeks ago. It was way worse in the 70s and 80s. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. 
yeah. black people had to work in those environments. I worked through that, that type of environment where they would call you nigger at, on the job site and just, you know, didn't think nothing of it, you know. Yeah. Literally have mm-hmm. to be ready to fight, you know, 10 white dudes because you weren't going to tolerate that shit. You know, so mm-hmm. it's a kind of work environment. And so these people that believe in a laissez-faire economy didn't think there should be any rules against any of that type of stuff. But then on top right. of it, you dealt with that discrimination and then they took out whatever sort of a, a safety net was available to keep you from starving to death. And then you end up with this homeless epidemic and people sleeping under bridges and on the sidewalk to the point that it's normalized now. We didn't get here right. by accident. It's disproportionately affecting black people. So, Yes, yes. And that needs to be part of black thought even though a lot of our experience with those kind of things is uh, very much part of our American experience, especially in the United States, because we're here right up next to white people. So we have to come to a knowledge on the daily of what that means. Whereas people, you know, like Fanon said, you know, when he was back in his home country of Martinique in the, in the black uh, Caribbean, you know, he didn't have to know himself as black and really know what blackness meant in the world. Right. It was when he went to France and had, you know, all these different experiences and kind of the culminating experience he writes about in his book, Black Skin, White Mask, was a little white kid on a train saying, look, mommy, look at the nigger. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing that kind of gives, that kind of, that kind of brings it all together for him where he realizes, oh, I've always been a nigger. And the places that I come from, those are nigger places. And that's why we meant the things in the world that we meant on this island, where the only way for you to have value is to feel yourself having value is to get off of the island and go to France and learn French and do all these things and stuff like that. And then you'll be respected. Otherwise, you're just considered just another, just another nigger. Just like, just like, just like getting out of the ghetto. Yes, yeah. yes. And I think that, that's, a, that's a part, I hope it's not obnoxious of us and, or presumptuous of us as African-Americans, you know, and, I, and we're not the only ones who go through this because I mean, they're, they're black people, even in like Brazil, who have to deal with this kind of stuff. And Brazil's a predominantly black country, you know, but, but that, that I think that knowledge of, you know, uh, of what we mean in the world, something that we have to experience on a daily basis, is something that we really can share with other black people in the world who may live in countries that are only black countries. Because it, for them, it may not be the reason why you didn't get this job is because a white person discriminated against you the, the, or, or the reason the police uh, are shooting down, you know, uh, Nigerian uh, youths in the streets, exactly. you know, yeah. because, you know, of, of racism. It, it may not be as clear to them that the connection of those things have. But when you start talking about the IMF and the World Bank and what they mean, what their country, what their neighborhood, what their experience, their ethnic group means to the rest of the world, like when Ken Sarawiwa in Nigeria understood that his meaning, the meaning of his Ogoni people in Nigeria to Shell Oil, Royal Dutch Shell Company, uh, was so low that they would pollute the land that they needed to live on just in order to get some oil. Right. That's when he stand and they had they they knew they had to kill him for that because he was he was gonna you know he was bringing that awareness 
to his people. This is what you mean to them. Are you going to accept that or are you going to stand up against it? And he stood up against it and he paid with his life. But we got to remember that brother's name and what he stood for because we, we have that knowledge that we're walking around with on a daily basis as African-Americans. And I think it's something that uh, Fanon, of course, also had and he shared with the world. But I think that's part of the framework is that getting black people to understand what an anti-black structure is doing to us and why we have to fight against it. And I think O'Shea Jackson understands that. His music reflected that. It's just that, yeah. uh, you know, the the more intricate details of how these systems work are sort of uh, not being delved into enough by uh, people that really want to make a difference, you know. I mean, part of it, yes. his experience is that he's benefited from capitalism. So how are you going to say it's a bad thing when you became a multimillionaire from this economic system? But, right. you know, but at the same time, uh, there's a lack of uh, full understanding of what all those terms mean. And, and right. I think, you know, so with that in mind, the idea of where we go from here Man, mm-hmm. It has to be on a more international level. We have to, you know, we got to use the tools that we have. You know, we can't allow our people to starve to death. It can't be so, like, if we know whole communities of people are uh, suffering, like they're suffering right now, we need to be organizing so that our communities, Black communities, aren't suffering from this pandemic and starving to death and having to eat. Uh, food from a food bank that's not worth eating. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, you know, the yeah. shit that they give you at these places and they call it food, they're not giving it to everybody. They're mm-hmm. giving it to us. You know, just like they right. have those 10-year-old frozen chickens that they sell yeah. in the Caribbean, but they don't sell in the United States. So if we know right. these things are happening, part of our organizing work is to find ways to uh, help other people our people do better in the various places they are, whether that's at a very small grassroots level of, you know, having community gardens or people that, you know, have farmers markets that share with the community or, you know, or helping someone get into an apprenticeship where they can start making a living wage. You know what I'm saying? But we have to, we have to start doing all these things and it can't be so idealistic that we only talk about, destroying capitalism we also have to have a survival mechanism built into that that makes real money for people because people need money to sustain themselves and part of the problem that i have lots of times is even though i'm down with you know the elimination the elimination of a capitalistic system that's destroying us but nobody's talking about how do we eat in between time and not just eat shit but eat right you know eat the good food that rich people get from Whole Foods, you know, the equivalent of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do we get access to those things? How do we get access to high-quality educations, books, computers, learn how to write code or whatever the thing is that can help us sustain ourselves and at the same time, you know, keeping it seared into our consciousness that they will choke us to death in broad daylight and not feel anything about it. You know, then have elected officials that try to justify it and media outlets that will argue that it was rational. 
you know, and that right. and that our response with anger is irrational, you know, after we yes. see it over and over again for decades. So, right. you know, we, we need to be finding ways that on the one hand, we create our economic survival and mm-hmm. we're able to make sure that our children come up healthy, that we're not diseased, that if we need to drink only bottled water that there's a mechanism in place that we drink only bottled water because the water system Mm -hmm. we have is contaminated you know we need to help that happen and we need to know what's happening in other communities like rural parts of Alabama Georgia wherever it may be even parts of uh, Mm -hmm. Richmond that we don't like I read once that uh, it takes when there's a shooting in North Richmond the police don't arrive until an hour later at times. So how do an hour later? Yeah, how do you think that crime is going to be dealt with if they're not even showing up when there's gunfire? Right. So we need to address those things, and it may not, you know, the police may not be the means to stop that, but people need to be able to live safely and know that they're not going to get shot and not get any assistance. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So right. At the same time right. that we are uh, organizing against capitalistic oppression, we need the economic financial resources to weather what it is that we're dealing with. So, yes. You know, and not just yes. be so ideological that we forget the day to day needs of people, especially right now. I was watching, uh, what's the woman's name that won? Corey Bush, is that her name? Uh, yeah, she went in Missouri. Yeah, she was talking about how she would go to the food banks and sometimes the food at the food banks was outdated food. And this is what they're giving yeah. you, you know. That's bullshit, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of us, there's plenty of black people that make plenty of money that can give a little bit to make sure people don't have to eat that shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. At a most yes. basic level, the food affects your health. We're, you know, Mm -hmm. part of the reason that we're so affected by coronavirus is because we're affected by health-related issues that are connected to what we eat. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I mean, I kind of, you know, uh, I'm on a little bit of a rant, but it pisses me off because on the one hand, as much as I agree with these organizers that want to you know, see capitalism and racism as a root problem, but don't see uh, part of the solution is making sure people in the moment have the things they need. They're, it, it's not going to work as far as I, as far as I'm concerned. You know, so, right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want people to act individualistically, then just let them keep starving, and they're you know, no matter what your political idea is people are going to do what's in their individual best interest if there's no collective effort to address their immediate needs as well. So, Yes. But for black people to survive, there's going to have to be collective efforts because the, the problems that we face are enormous. They're structural problems. And that's the whole world as we know it is structured around those problems. Right, and that's why I'm saying like we have to do both at the same time if we're going to get uh, the sort of political organizing that's going to be effective, I think. So. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm as sick of it as everybody else. You know, if I live another uh, 20 years, I 
hope I see this shit collapsing as much as anyone else. But at the same time, I don't want to see 20 years of people living hand to mouth either. So, right, right. Yeah, there's nothing. Uh, who was it? You said somebody said there's nothing revolutionary about starving. <laughs> yeah, because I <laughs> when I was in, yeah or being broke when I was at Berkeley this. Oh yeah, this friend of mine. He had a, this was back in the nineties. Uh, he had um uh, a down jacket. It was a yellow down jacket, one of those expedition level down jackets. It had to cost like five hundred dollars. And I was like, damn mm-hmm. man, that's a nice jacket, bro. He says, man, ain't nothing revolutionary about these, bro. <laughs> 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 I never forgot that. Yeah. He's right, you know, shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody yeah. have to have a five hundred dollar down jacket, but you know, people do need no. basic things and, and, and a little yeah. bit more than just basic, you know. Shit. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. At least until we're in a protracted war, you know. <laughs> yes. 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 You know? Shit. You know how to share everything still and all that, but yeah. it's like we do. We do need to have things that meet our needs and you know things that get our you know give us a sense of comfort a sense of we can be a little bit easy sometime you know we're, we're entitled like people. everybody else we're entitled yeah you know yeah <laughs> you know and they, they turn that word entitlement into a nasty word but I believe in entitlement yeah. you know shit if they're entitled to have trillions we're entitled to have a hundred thousand at least you know <laughs> yes at least yes at least <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah but I, yeah we yeah yeah i think uh i think people are you know galvanized right now and like you say we could end up on a bunch of different paths but i think if there's a way to start getting a more general understanding of where we come from what we face and how the system works, it'll make a big difference in terms of creating a broader consensus. Everybody doesn't have to agree, but if there's a big enough of a consensus, that's going to make a big difference. So, right. Yeah. Right. An agreement on uh, what we face as black people. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. We get that sort of a consensus. You know, those outliers like the. Uh, Walter White, who says, that's not Walter White. There's a professor at uh, a Virginia University that said black people are better off because they came to America and were slaves. And then he says, look at Africa. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. that kind of ignorant thought, you know, he understands what slavery is and everything else. So, you know, yeah. he's not in agreement, but he knows what the systems were. So he may come right. up with that interpretation, but we need other people to have the knowledge to make their own interpretation. Right. And I guarantee right. you the majority aren't going to interpret it like him. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, uh. That's like anti-black thought. Right. By a black person. Yeah. <laughs> By a black person. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to get black thought going. That comes from our experience, and we don't, you know, we over, we, you know, we, we have to ignore it. We have to suppress 
the knowledge that our bodies moving through the world produces. Right. You know, right. Or or we have to never have been given the, the, the tools to really synthesize what's going on, you know, but that knowledge is there. We just need to, you know, have the right tools for understanding what's producing that knowledge. Right. It's a, it's a painful knowledge. Right. Uh, painful knowledge. Even though black, being black ain't all pain, this is beautiful. It's, it's beautiful too. Yeah. But uh, God the bad. world. I've had deep levels of pleasure in my lifetime. So, <laughs> uh, listening to "Distant Lover" live in Oakland by Marvin Gaye is a pleasure. Uh, you know, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. live. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. there's pleasures in life, you know. And every time I play yeah. that song, that pleasure comes back again, you know. So there's. We definitely have, you know, a depth of understanding of joy and pleasure at the same time that we have this, uh, you know, like uh, like Frankie Beverly says, joy and pain. You know, we we joy and pain. Yes, but we need to we need to make sure that we have the supporting knowledge to understand our joy and our pain. 